Notice verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector called Levi sitting at his booth. Jesus met Levi on his own ground, at his tax booth. Always we see Jesus coming to where people are, to the fishermen mending their nets, the Samaritan woman drawing water from the well, and to Levi sitting at his place of work. So often the focus of our evangelism is on getting people to come to us, to come to church, to come to this meeting or to that meeting. Jesus didn't do that. He met them where they were. And he meets us where we are too. We're so familiar with our circumstances and that's where Jesus wants to meet us. And as we seek to be his voice, his hands and his feet today, it's where he wants us to meet the people we long to draw to him. We each of us, don't we, have our own world of people that the church cannot touch or reach. Are we allowing the Christ of the Gospels living in us to meet them on their ground, in their circumstances? And then secondly, notice how uncomplicated Jesus' invitation to Levi is. Jesus said, follow me. It seems that as Christians, we're sometimes guilty of trying to complicate the uncomplicated and making it more difficult for the not yet believer to come into the kingdom. Jesus' invitation was and is very uncomplicated. Follow me. Jesus invites people to follow him on his terms. And we'll need to unpack what his terms are but his initial invitation is clear, a clear, uncomplicated one. And I think that in all our evangelism, in trying to win people for Christ, we need to be aware, beware of fuzzing it up and making it seem difficult. Follow me, says Jesus. Jesus invites us, invites people to follow him, but on his terms. And I'm afraid that the bottom line of these terms is total commitment. Did you notice? Levi got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. Does that remind you of the fishermen who left their boats, the source of their livelihood on the shore, and followed Jesus? Or perhaps it reminds you of that rich young ruler who was asked to sell all his possessions and follow Jesus, but went away sorrowful because he had great riches. The invitation is uncomplicated, and we fail our Lord if we make it complicated, but we fail our Lord too if in our evangelism we make his demands upon the human soul less than absolute. The grace of the Lord Jesus said to Levi, says to you and me, says to all would-be disciples, follow me. But it's costly grace that offers the invitation, not cheap grace. 
Dr. Jim Packer, in his book, I Want to Be a Christian, affirms that when Peter on the day of Pentecost called the people to repent, he was prescribing not a formal gesture of regret for the crucifixion, but a total renunciation of independence as a way of living and a total submission to the rule of the risen Lord. And if in our eagerness to open the kingdom to those as yet outside, we imply that following Christ will solve all their problems, we are proclaiming a false Christ, a crossless Christianity. It will be cheap grace, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, not costly grace. There's a story I read or heard one day about a pig and a hen who very unlikely were walking along outside a church and they saw a notice on the notice board that said, will you feed the hungry? And the hen said to the pig, we could do something about that, couldn't we? We could send them egg and bacon. And the pig looked at the hen and said, hmm, that's all very well for you. For you, the egg is just a, to a token gift. But for me, bacon is a total commitment. I like that. <laughs> Jesus' invitation to it invites us. It's very uncomplicated. It's very simple. But it is totally demanding. I wonder what matters most to you and to me. What are our priorities today? Is there anything that matters in our life ahead of Jesus and his call? I don't know about you, but I find it incredibly difficult to sort out my priorities. I don't know about you. I can't close my eyes or my ears, though, to the simplicity and the totality of the call to commitment that Jesus extends to each one of us. Who owns us? Who owns our possessions, our ambitions, our loved ones, our children, our spouse? Whose are they? Are they ours or are they his? I know I've quoted this before, but it always seems to me so relevant. Richard Foster, in one of his books, says that the hard sayings of Jesus, such as are found in Luke 14, where he says, if anyone wants to come to me and doesn't hate his mother, his father, his brother, his sister, yes, and his lone life, he cannot be my disciple. He says that, in fact, those that we call the hard sayings are, in fact, if only you would realize it, the easiest sayings of all. Give them all to me, says Jesus. Give them to me unreservedly, and you'll know freedom, joy, the ease of my yoke. The heaviness of our Christian lives, the effort, is that we don't. We try to hold on to our Lord with one hand, and hang on to all the things we hold dear with the other, and it's impossible. Our lives become fragmented, divided, and we experience daily conflict and pain. I found this poem that I liked. It's from Harn Hill, and I think we're having the person who runs Harn Hill coming to speak to us in September. But this is one of the poems in one of their tapes, and it seems to sum this up beautifully. Don't tell anyone... But the rock on which I'm standing is made of solid sand. I haven't got my weight upon it, which is why you see each hand is holding on to anything just in case I fall. 
because the rock on which I'm standing isn't really rock at all. And the things to which I'm holding give a sense of security, and they've all got names and labels which make me feel safe, you see. One's called work, another's friends, there's money, dreams and talents, plus telly, books and alcohol, just to give some sorts of balance. So don't take anything away, just in case I fall, because the rock on which I'm standing isn't really rock at all. Hello, who's that? Is there anybody there? I thought I heard a voice whisper in my ear. Well, you did. My name is Jesus. Are you really sure you'll sink down if to oblivion if you put your feet down on the floor? Your arms must be really aching holding up your weight each day. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was another way? Oh, and you're wrong about the rock, you know. You just don't understand, but I do, because I am the rock, not a lump of crumbling sand. And I'm here to carry all your weight. That's the reason why I came, that you might truly be at rest on the rock that bears my name. But child, there is something I think you need to know. For me to fully hold you, you need to let go of the things you're clutching. And no, I won't let you down. So relax, let go, and trust me, and put those feet on solid ground. Your friends, your wealth, your talents, well, they're important too to me, and I will take the weight of them to enable you to see these things from my perspective, a perspective that is true, from a place of peace and freedom, from the rock that's there for you. So Jesus meets people where they are and his invitation is uncomplicated, but his call is to total commitment. But fourthly, notice that Jesus loves the unlovely. Levi wasn't a particularly lovely person. He was hated by his own people, the Jews, because of the way he cheated them and he would be considered a mere puppet in the hands of the hated Romans. The modern-day equivalent would probably be the drug pusher who makes money out of the misery of others. But in verse 29 of Luke chapter 5, we find something quite special. We find Levi doing something for Jesus. Because he was unlovely, he mixed more freely with the unlovely people of society, his fellow tax collectors. The sinners, the prostitutes, the immoral, the outcasts of society, they were the ones he felt comfortable with. They were the ones he invited to the party. And notice who else felt comfortable with them? Jesus. It's so easy, isn't it, to want to deal with the comfortable people, the people we feel at ease with, people like us. We don't find it easy to cope with the unlovely. We know in our minds that we should, it's our Christian duty, but there's no real love in Christian duty. Maybe we don't reach the unlovely because we carry an invisible placard that says, come and be like us. I like the story of Dick Shepherd, who was visiting some troops. And the chaplain pointed out to him one soldier and said, I can't get near him at all. He's just not interested in religion. Later, Dick Shepherd and the soldier were seen in animated conversation together, and the chaplain said to Dick, I should be glad if you would explain what religious approach you made to a person who seems to be entirely indifferent to religion. Religion, said Dick Shepherd, his eyes twinkling. I didn't talk religion. 
I told him two funny stories and asked after his mother. And you know, that was always Jesus' way, wasn't it? Coming alongside, bestowing real love, not official love, making the receiver long to make a loving response. Do you remember how Simon pointed out that Jesus wasn't religious? He was relational, and that's how we must be too. But surely this speaks to us personally. Jesus meets us where we are. He loves us as we are, unlovely as we are. And we know we're unlovely. Deep down we know how unlovely we are. We know how rotten we are. We know that we're sinners. But the wonder is that Jesus knows that too, and he loves the unlovely. And that means, and this is really good news, you and me. And finally, Jesus sees through the mask of our religiosity. I don't know if there's such a word as that, But Jesus says in verse 31, I've not, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What a comfort those words are. Not just to the not yet believer, but to people like you and me, because he's talking about us. Other people might see us as righteous. After all, we come to church, we do lots of good works, we live good lives. But we know, don't we, how easy it is to put on that mask of religiosity, to say the right words, to do the right things, but behind the mask, inside, In our honest moments, we know we're sinners. Those Pharisees and teachers of the law, they were so sure they were all right. But Jesus saw right through their mask of religiosity. He saw the truth. Later, do you remember he was to describe them in harsher terms as whitewashed sepulchres? I wonder what Jesus sees when he removes very gently, if we'll let him, our mask and looks at our hearts. Anything that springs from self is sin. Self-effort, self-satisfaction in service is sin. Self-pity in trials and difficulties. Self-seeking, self-consciousness, reserve, worry, fear, all spring from self. And in Christ's sight are sin and require confession, repentance and cleansing in his precious blood. My hard, unyielding self, which justifies itself, wants its own way, stands up for its rights and seeks its own glory, needs to admit that it's wrong and give up its own way to Jesus. I did not call the righteous but sinners, and in my honest moments, I know that that's me. Maybe you know, in your honest moments, that it's you too. What does he call us to? I came to call sinners to repentance, and that word repentance, metanoia, I don't know any Greek really, but just that word, metanoia, which means a change of heart, a change of direction, a radical discontinuity with our formal life. And it's only when the living presence of Christ and the incredible wonder of his love overwhelms us that we can come to this place of repentance, to this inner surrender. It's only in the light of his purity, 
holiness and love that we can truly see ourselves as we really are. Do you remember that story that Beryl read for us of Peter falling on his knees in his fishing boat saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, Lord. We can be sincere in our desire to surrender in this way. But you know, the older I get, the more I realize the actual transformation is a lifelong process. I found these words of Stanley Jones, which I thought were just so right. It says, this surrender of the self is once and for all and yet continuous. Someone put it thus, surrender is a surrender of as much of myself as I know today to as much of Christ as I know today. And that's what Christ is asking of you and of me. So in this little story of Jesus calling Levi into discipleship, we learn that Jesus meets us just where we are. His invitation is uncomplicated, follow me. It may be uncomplicated, but his call is to total commitment, for Levi left everything and followed him. Jesus loves the unlovely, even you and me, and he can see through the masks and the sham of our religiosity. He can see through yours, and he can see through mine. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you that you've called the Levi's of this world and that you've called us. Help us to realize the seriousness of that call, the commitment, the cross, the discipline. Help us, Father, to do away once and for all with the masks and shams of religiosity, that we might be set free to serve you and reflect you in your world, that you'll in the world that you love and to which you came to minister. And we give you our heartfelt thanks for your amazing grace and your mercy. Amen.